Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go on there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Good to have you aboard as we return to our normally scheduled time. You do not have to adjust your week's schedule as a result. We had made some changes to accommodate mandatory minicamp, but we are back up and running at noon Eastern each and every day this week. And there are multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phone, not a problem, hashtag. Giants chat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So a little bit later this month, we'll start getting into our opponent previews as we'll focus on each opponent that the Giants will collide with this season. But it is a relatively quiet time now as the offseason program has wind down. The rookies are still around, but the veterans go in their separate ways, and the team will then have an opportunity to regroup for a little bit before they return for the start of training camp. So I think, Paul, this is really a good time to maybe take a step back and look at the state of the team, where they're at as they finished up the offseason program. And one of the things that we're going to focus on today is NFL.com. They do this every offseason. They do a pretty detailed synopsis of every team. It's called the State of the Team Series. And Adam Rank, who's a writer for NFL.com, he actually did one on the New York Giants a few days ago. So we figured this is a great opportunity for us to sort of highlight some of the things that he brought to the forefront. He names key players to watch out for, storylines, key games. And we're curious, obviously, your reaction as we make our way throughout the course of the program, too. So, Paul, let's really delve right into it, and it's not a stunner. And a lot of the things that he did highlight, I should mention, we've brought up and we've talked about at great length on this program, but this is a good way to sort of sum it up. And his main focus is the play of the quarterback. Daniel Jones, that this is going to tell an awful lot about him as an individual, but also it's going to tell an awful lot about the direction of this organization with respect to Joe Shane and Brian Dable, what they want to do with that position, given the fact that they did not draft Daniel Jones, they simply inherited him from the previous regime. Well, I mean, everybody's been talking about the fact that, you know, franchise quarterbacks are usually tied to their front office people. And obviously, as you mentioned a moment ago, Shane coming in brand new, he's got no allegiance to Daniel Jones. He's going to look at the tape. He and Brian Dable will sit down. They will talk about things during training camp. They will see how Daniel Jones progresses. I would expect that by the middle of the season, if Daniel Jones is on the upside and things are going well and they like what they see, they will probably try to talk to him midseason and see about doing something with his contract. I believe that to be true. Now, on the other hand, if there are no conversations, then that means they either haven't liked what they've seen or they just don't think it's good enough to make a commitment and they'd be willing to lean on the potential franchise tag at the end of the season. The, to me, those are the those are obviously the possibilities. I think everybody around the building is optimistic and hopeful that they will decide by midseason they see something they really like 
and they decide to put pen to paper and they get a new long-term deal with him, which, of course, will be cap-friendly and have different machinations in it so that the Giants are not paying their quarterback $35 million in 2023. Well, and also when you say long-term, I would probably think it would be more on the short-term side of things long-term than the long-term being, side mo- of Maybe multi-year term, multi-year yeah. no, is the way to, to say it because I would suspect the deal would probably, if they really like what they see, I bet you he gets a four-year deal. Really? You think it would be that long? See, I, I could see could. something maybe like a two-year deal with a team option for a third year or something like that in terms of the level of commitment. I think if they really see what they like... Uh, he'll get he'll maybe three with a fourth year option if you if you prefer. I don't think it's going to be as short as a two plus one. The other thing that I think is important to note, you were talking about maybe midseason if they like what they see, they're going to start discussing a potential contract extension. The other thing that you have to at least be aware of if you're the Giants, maybe it makes more sense to wait out the entire season because Paul, we've seen quarterbacks right. They have a stretch of maybe good first seven, eight games, then all of a sudden, second half of the season, different level of competition, the schedule changes, the weather changes, you're going on the road, and all of a sudden the numbers don't necessarily match what you did in the first half of the year. So I wouldn't be surprised if, listen, they're obviously, they want to see him play well. I think that goes without saying, but patience is not a bad thing. If they wanted to just simply wait out the season and say, hey, let's look at the entire set of games before we all of a sudden start talking money at any potential contract. Yeah. And I understand that because here's the thing. There are two sides to this coin, no matter what you decide. There's a positive and there's a negative to trying to get something done earlier. And there's a positive and negative to try and get something done later. Now, the only reason that I think if he again, he's got to bowl them over, in my opinion, to get a new deal done in the middle of the season. He's got to bowl them over. Those it would have to be a career stretch for they, like seven right. or eight games. They would have to look at him and say, you know what? He is just really acing this test. I think, and again, that's the most unlikely of the scenarios is that he absolutely comes out like gangbusters and, and looks like a superstar. I think more than likely he'll play well. I don't necessarily think he's going to come out looking like a superstar. But if he does, I could see that being the scenario where he does get a new deal in midseason. And here's the reason why. Because even though there's a gamble there that over the last two months of the year that you say to yourself, well, what happens if he gets hurt in November and December and then we've locked this guy up to a multi-year deal with all this money and, uh uh-oh, he wound up only playing 10 games because he missed the last you know seven weeks of the season. There's a risk there. There's no question about that, Lance. And it would make you hesitate. But – Here's, here's my thinking. If the Giants get off to a good start, and I think we all agree that that's going to be congruous with him. If Daniel's playing really well, chances are the Giants are probably doing really well too. And if that's the case, I could see the Giants saying to themselves, you know what? We know what's going to happen with the distractions around here. We get to the midpoint of this season. He's going to be asked about that contract each and every single day by the writers. They will not lay off of him. It's going to be a constant issue, and it it, it could turn into something that would be a negative and could derail any potential second-half run that this team might have. And again, I'm going under the hypothetical that he plays balls out Okay, in the first half of the season He's outstanding. The team has a winning record and is in position at the midpoint to actually do something and challenge potentially with a strong second half for maybe a wild card or a division. If that's the case, and again, I understand that's probably a small percentage, you want to get that quarterback solidified. You want to eliminate any chance of a distraction or any chance of anything going wrong. And if you can have a little conversation with him and his guy and get it done and wipe all the other outside noise out of the equation, you do it. Because in this game, and you know it, Lance, lightning strikes every once in a while and you don't look that gift horse in the mouth and you say, if the lightning is striking, you want to ride that sucker and get as much benefit out of it as you can. And if the Giants are in position, let's say they're 5-2 and two after seven games. 
man, oh man, oh man, you got to sit there and you say, why not us? Let's do whatever we can to maximize our chances. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth and let something outside the building like media distractions screw it up. I just I don't think that the team could be guided by the worrisome of a distraction. For example, Dak Prescott, if you remember, let's stay in the division, Paul. Dak was a lame duck quarterback going into the 2020 season. All through 2019, he played on an expiring contract, remember? And they were talking about that all season. And I know the Cowboys went 8-8 eight and eight in 2019, but looking back, I wouldn't say that the reason why the team struggled is because they were peppering with questions. Plus, keep in mind, they've been asking Daniel all offseason about his contract. They've been asking, how many times has there been a presser this offseason? They've asked the teammate, Dexter Lawrence, for example, actually, who met with the media right before they broke from minicamp. Dex was even asked, hey, Dex, you just got the extension. Daniel didn't. How does Daniel seem? How does he come across in conversation? Well, that's the point. They're but, already beating this damn yeah. horse to death as it is. I get and, and, that. And you've already, you've already established my point because you indicated that this is a new front office. That's the problem. Dallas didn't have a new front office. It's been the same. It's Jerry sure. Jones and his and his kid Stephen who've been running that sucker. So there was a there was those people have been committed to Prescott all along. So it is an entirely different situation and a much more distracting situation here because you've got a brand new coach with a brand new front office. They're not committed to Daniel. I'm telling you, you know this pressure cooker in New York. They are going to make that thing a problem if they possibly can. Well, it's going to be a storyline. I don't disagree with you there, but if I'm a member of the front office, I'm not being guided by what potential storylines are going to be in the media. I can't make decisions, Paul, like that. I have to worry about whether or not the player is playing up to par and whether or not the contract is good for either the short term or the long term, and I truly feel committed. Here's the other thing that we haven't discussed. Let's look at it from Daniel Jones's perspective, his representatives. There's not, to me, as much of an incentive for him to take a contract midseason. If I'm Daniel Jones's reps, if you say that he's playing well, let's go under your assumption, Paul, because that's what we're operating on. He's having a career year. The team, as a result, is benefiting from it over the course of the first seven to eight games. And again, this is not the most likely scenario. No, I, and but I'm not saying that I you're painting it. No, I'm right. just going with the one right. that you right. laid out. I right. want to operate under the hypothetical or have okay. it. If you're Daniel Jones's agent, wouldn't you say to yourself, boy, if Daniel's playing like this, let's ride out the season. Maybe there's a better market for him. Maybe we could use that as leverage up against the Giants. If the Giants are still interested, maybe there's other teams interested, and we bring up the value of his contract. Doesn't well, that make more sense? There are two downsides to that on the agent's perspective. And, and again, I always talk about the multiple layers of the onion and the different uh, facets of the prism. Um, that's something that I always look into. I always put myself in the different facets. So you want me to be the agent here? Well, I'm well, going to bring up the injury. I I'm going to be Daniel Jones's agent, and I'm going to say, Daniel, uh, you got a chance here. We're we're eight games into the season. You're doing really, really great. Uh, could could you maybe guarantee me you're going to finish this season without missing a game? No, he can't do that. So maybe we should take a deal. I'm also going to talk to Daniel. I'm going to say, Daniel, boy, Brian Dable and Mike Kafka have really made things work for you. You are fitting into this system, and you are playing You are playing like you never thought you could play before, and you are kicking people's butts. Do you really want to make another change after all the hell that you've been through for the first four-plus years of your career where everything has been a question, everybody has doubted you? Now you got yourself a coach and an OC who have made you a star. Do you really want to test the free agent waters and walk away from this? Probably not. So there, there are two very strong reasons why an agent would probably want to get that deal done. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. I just, bringing up the injury point, which we've talked about multiple times, that's another reason why I find it hard to believe the Giants would commit to him after just seven or eight games, even if he's playing extraordinary. Because I don't see how after he's gone through seasons where he's gotten hurt late in the year, that after just seven or eight games, you would feel great about giving him a contract. Regardless of what the parameters are, Paul, of the deal— I just I go back to the team side of things because you were talking about the agent would be telling Daniel, hey, if you could get a deal with some security, given your injury history, why roll the dice? Well, then my flip side would be, well, why would the team 
want to roll the dice when they don't know yet, even with a new regime, whether or not he could get through 15 games. See, the, I mean, that's the, what we've been talking about at the beginning of the year. Can he get through 15 games? Right. And I don't even have the answer at this the, point. The point of this is that there's always a flip side. No matter whose side you take, whether it's the agents, the players, or the teams, there is always positives and negatives, and there is a flip of the coin side to every single point that you make or I make. That's why there's no right or wrong answer here. What it comes down to is, if the scenario presents itself, one, one of the facets, whether it's the player, the agent, or the team, one of them is going to have to view both sides of the coin and say, which side do we view heavier? Which side do we value more? Are we more concerned about the risk, or are we more concerned about having a bird in the hand? And that is where a deal gets done or doesn't get done because there is no right or wrong answer. And you and I could debate the flip sides of these coins for the next 10 hours. There is no answer here. I'm simply presenting the possibilities that may exist. I certainly could see where one of the three factions, the player, the agent, or the team, might want to get a deal done under that scenario. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying I could see where somebody might want to make it happen. Well, it's another reason why it's not a simple answer for either side, too. No, Because absolutely. there's a lot to weigh. There's pros and cons on both sides. Always. From the team's standpoint and also from the player's standpoint. I will say this in reaction to what you were talking about with respect to, Daniel, do you want to go elsewhere? Do you want to learn another offense? If you were to ask me from the lens of continuity, stability, I think Daniel has more of an incentive to stay with the Giants sure. than Dable and Shane have to keep him. And the reason I say that is because Dable's in year one. I think he still has the flexibility that, hey, if I want to now groom another quarterback, if I want to bring in another quarterback next offseason, teach him my offense, I can buy that. It's not like you've been here two to three years mm -hmm. and you're just grasping onto strings at this point. Daniel, he's been through this rodeo. He's been through constant change, various offensive coordinators, and he hasn't had that unbelievable standout season with all this change. So if you're thriving, or maybe thriving is too strong of a word, but if you're feeling comfortable over the first seven or eight games, you're staying healthy, there's a reason to want to remain here because maybe it's a good fit. Maybe this proves to give you a little bit more longevity in your career with the Giants. So I could see that being a selling point for Daniel. Sure. But I wouldn't argue, Paul, that that's a very strong selling point for the Giants because I don't think Dable at the end of this year is saying, if Daniel doesn't work out, there's no way I could go into a different direction. Well, I'll give you a different selling point for the Giants. And again, you have to peel all the layers of the onion back. Another angle to this prism is the Giants, if they were under that scenario, going to give Daniel and reach a multi-year deal. Now they don't have to worry about using the potential franchise tag on him. Now, let's just say, again, Giants are really doing well. You get Daniel done. Well, now you could use the tag on Saquon Barkley if you need to because now you don't have to worry about Daniel Jones. Sure. And, and obviously, if the Giants are doing real well, chances are Jones and Barkley will both be doing well. And the Giants are going to have to figure out, okay, guess what? We've got two guys who are now going to be up in terms of their contracts. Uh, we, only, we only got one tag. Yeah. So, so you can only play tag with one of the two players. So there is incentive, I would think, to probably getting the quarterback done if both of them are kicking butt more so than getting the running back done. I would think. But – you know, maybe there's another reason why they would want to go the other way. And maybe they'd rather hold the tag for Daniel, and maybe they'd want to sign Saquon to the multi-year deal instead. I mean, I, I, could see, I could see that being another scale that has to be balanced because if both guys get off to spectacular starts, you've got to figure out which guy you're going to play leverage with. Of course. Well, that's why I was going to say, interestingly, it's attractive to use the tag on both of them even if they're coming off good seasons, because I would still say 
even if both of them have good seasons, and good in the eyes of everybody is going to be different, the definition, but let's just say, A, they're durable. That, to me, would meet the equation of good, meaning that they actually last the season without injury. That's one check mark. B, there's consistency in terms of the level of play. You're not going into every game wondering, what am I going to get out of the player? So that would be the second factor. And then the third factor would be, there seems to be a comfort with the offense that is being run how they're being used, and both sides seem to have the middle ground. So if those three factors are met, that would be, I would say, good, solid season, warrants bringing them back. That would be my criteria. Mm -hmm. But even if you get through all of that, Paul, I'm still not at the point because of Barkley's injury history and Daniel Jones's injury history, and I don't believe that one good season, one solid season, is a guarantee that then they come back the following year and they completely avoid the injury bug. You can't go by that reasoning. That's why the franchise tag is attractive for both of them. However, if you were to ask me, who would I be more willing to give a multi-year deal to because of the importance of the position and the still potential upside in year two in the system, I'd lean more towards Daniel Jones getting the multi-year deal and taking my chances with tagging Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I would generally Positional agree. value is what, to me, separates those two. Well, and the reason behind that, for those of you who don't understand some of the economics of this, and I'm on board with Lance on this one, because if you give the franchise tag to a Barkley, right now it's, it's nine and a half mil, Okay. You give the franchise tag to the quarterback, it's over 29 and a half mil. Now, if you do a multi-year deal, you obviously can jostle the numbers with all the different bonuses and the way you break things up to where you can reduce his cap charge in 2023. Well, it would be much more advantageous to reduce the quarterback's cap charge in 2023 with a multi-year deal than it would be to reduce Barkley's because his number is already one-third less than, than Daniel Jones's if you're dealing with the potential franchise tag values. Well, and the other factor here is, once again, going back to not just positional value, which is what you were hitting on, but also positional value with respect to the cap and whether or not you could replace that player easily. So, for example, no disrespect to Saquon Barkley, but I think we've seen throughout the NFL that if you can find another running back in the draft, can you find somebody else that can catch the ball in the backfield? I think that can be done. I don't think that's crazy to say you can't tackle that in free agency in the draft. Can you find a franchise quarterback? Not to say that Daniel has answered all the claims, but is it so easy to say, goodbye, Daniel, we absolutely have an answer that we know is going to come in equal Daniel Jones or surpass that? You can't guarantee me that. That's more of a reason why I'd be a little bit more willing to give him some more time as opposed to Saquon. That's the other layer of things in addition to the economics. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting theory to bring up because that's why Tyrod Taylor is here. In fact, the deal that, that Tyrod Taylor signed with the Giants is actually a three-way kind of deal. It's an incredibly flexible deal which allows him to be here as an insurance policy this year, but it also kicks in and makes him an insurance policy in 2023 if Jones isn't here and allows him to then be the man next year if they need a one-year holdover before turning the team over to somebody else in 2024. So that becomes another part of this onion that would need to be peeled back when you think about how you want to deal with Jones because Taylor now becomes a factor in the future quarterback discussion as you look over the ensuing two seasons after this one. So there are so many different ways to look at this. It is not a simple answer, and there is no right or wrong answer as we sit here today. But I think for all of these other reasons we just talked about, Again, to me, this is why I could see the scale weighing heavier on if, if things are really, really good, get that new multi-year deal with Daniel in the middle of this season. And, and these other factors that we just talked about are part of the reason why I would tilt the scale toward that situation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. 
Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that saying? with Some everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. So Daniel Jones was the main topic of this article on NFL.com discussing the state of the Giants. We'll get into some of the other things that were brought to light in that article as we move forward. But let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. We check in with John in Cape Cod, who joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Lance. Hi. Let's talk with you guys again. You know, the, the argument, everything both of you said is totally valid. Uh, It's like how many angels dance on the head of a pin, you know? Uh, (laughs) Okay. In in fairness to Daniel Jones, I thought he had an outstanding rookie year. We don't really know, number one, what his true injury situation will be because the injuries have been unrelated. I, I go back to when I had season tickets and lived in New Jersey and went to all the giant games. Remember all the freak injuries Phil Sims had for the better part of three years? Got the living <laughs> stuffing kicked out of him. He was put together with Scott yeah. Tate those first few years. And he turned into the toughest, most durable quarterback the Giants have had in a long time. I think the team has to tune out all the white news from the press and just get on with the program and hope that Daniel can stay on the field. I think he's got a much better chance now that he's not going to be running for his life based on all the acquisitions they've made with their offensive line. As for Barkley, Paul, I agree with you. From a business standpoint, you've got to make your choices, tie the quarterback up first, and then play, play the other card with the running back. And I love Barkley. He was totally durable at Penn State. I think if they ever get a really good offensive line, he's a generational running back. He's got speed, size, power, and great hands. We just got to see what happens. And and like I said, uh, forget about what the press and what a lot of the fans are going to have to say. They don't make the decisions. No, they don't. And that's why I think the front office would not get overwhelmed by that, John, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks for tuning in here. With respect to Barkley, he absolutely has a once-in-a-generation type of skill set. I don't think it's a skill set question. It's more of, at least where I was coming from, it's also like Daniel Jones, a durability question. Mm -hmm. Saquon also hasn't proven that in the wake of multiple injuries, just like Daniel, that you could bank on him staying healthy. Just like, I don't know if it's the same degree, but the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey also has a once-in-a-generation type of skill set with the way that he could catch the ball, get out in open space, run. But the Panthers are saying to themselves, are we going to get a three-game season out of Christian McCaffrey or are we going to get a 15-game season out of Christian McCaffrey? So they're in the same boat. The Panthers and the Giants very similar. You use the high pick on a dynamic playmaker. You just have no idea going into every year how much availability you're going to get out of a guy. And if you're going to give a contract to somebody, I don't care what position they play, availability and durability, I would argue, is the top criteria before I even talk about what their upside is. Because if you already are banking on, Paul, if you're going to say at minimum, this guy's going to miss five games, do the math. In a 17-game season, that means he's gone for a quarter of the season right off the bat. Why would you want to invest in a league defined by a salary cap 
where there's limitations and bang for your buck is such an important piece of the pie. Why would you want to reward somebody who you know already you're going into the season handicapped because they're going to miss a quarter of the year? You absolutely have to take that into consideration. Well, you mentioned McCaffrey, right? Now, he's going to make over $8.5 million on the cap number this year. And then the next two seasons, the Panthers are on the hook cap-wise for nearly $20 million a year. That's a lot of for money. For each of the next two seasons. You think they're not nervous about that right now? And that's why I brought him up. Because I, mean, I don't think another team wants to put themselves in a similar situation like that. Exactly. So, I mean, I, they obviously have the balloon payments starting in 2023. Because when they did sign the new multi-year contract with him, they were able to finagle the numbers to give themselves some room during the 2022 season. And that's what you always do with these new deals. When you re-sign a guy, you give yourself room in year one of the package, and then it starts getting a little bit tighter around the neck as you move on down the years. Uh, That's why, as said earlier, if you could do something like that with Jones, you're better off because you will save more room by redoing your quarterback's deal as opposed, or should I say, re-upping your quarterback's deal as opposed to doing it with your running back. Let's head back to the phone lines. Cliff is in New York. He joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Cliff? Hey, good morning, guys, or good afternoon, actually. Hi. Uh, yeah, hi. Good stuff. Um, I, got, I got some comments about Daniel, but I wanted to relate it um, to, the, to where we are as a, as a whole team at present. Uh, I was thinking last week, you know, listening to some of the callers, uh, you know, I think the situation that Joe Shane and Brian Dable walked into is is light years better than the situation that um, Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer walked into. Correct. I agree yeah. with you 100. percent Yeah, and I don't think that uh, you know I don't think there's enough attention has been paid to that. Um, you know, we've got we've got the, the the situation that the previous regime walked into featured. Uh, no draft choices from recent years, not only not still with the team, but nowhere in the league. And we've got guys that we drafted in 2018 that are still with the team and still in the league and on through, you know, 19, 20, and 21 and, and the great draft that we just had. And to be uh, frank with you, okay, just to be honest, uh, Joe Shane also had two top ten picks. He was able to pick up Thibodeau and Evan Neal, you know, just a couple of months ago in the draft, uh, the previous administration never had a situation. In fact, this franchise has never had a situation where they had two top ten picks in one draft. So let's let's not forget that is a tremendous bonus that was inherited. Well, but in oh, fairness, yeah. though, in 2019, you did have three first-round picks. You had two first-rounders, and then they traded back in to grab a third. Not two I know, top tens. No, I know, but I'm right. saying that they Big did have a lot of... Lance. No, no, Big but, no, but, difference. That, but that's a lot of capital, Paul. That's a lot of valuable capital to have three first-round picks. Well, you expect that that would at least make a strong impact on your team. The, the only reason stages. they had three first-round picks is because they went and traded up to get back into the first round when they yeah, acquired correct. that third first-rounder. I'm talking about this was inherited... They didn't have to make moves to do this. Joe Shane came in, sat in the chair, and they told him, you have two top ten picks. That's pretty doggone good. Well, and I know, don't but tell I me mean, that he wasn't thrilled with that. No, I'm not saying that at all. All I'm, all I'm saying is that there were previous recent drafts where they did have multi-first rounders. Dexter Lawrence was but the they 17th inherited. overall pick. Yeah, but they weren't inherited. No, I understand that, but what I'm saying well, is... That's, we're gonna that's compare, the point. No, but That's if we're the gonna, point. No, but but Never if mind. we're going to compare the situations, what I'm saying is is that I would disagree to say that Shermer and Gettleman didn't have opportunities to cash in and bring in game changers. I think there are examples that there were opportunities with the previous regime. That's what I'm Go saying. Go ahead, caller. Well, they um, uh, they had um, uh, the the 2019. That that's an interesting draft because that. They took the top press corner in the country and moved them into zone coverage. That that was very disappointing. But I'm I'm still a fan of Daniel and Dexter from 2019 as assets that were here, and I, and I think they're they're solid players, and and uh, I think the uh, new regime knows that. I think they were excited to come here not just because of it being the flagship franchise and all that stuff and the respect for the ownership. I think they were excited. I have to. I'm guessing. I don't know these guys obviously. But I think they had to be excited about players that were already here. And Wink Martindale said the same thing on the, uh, you know, on defense. 
So um, with Daniel, Cliff, though, in fairness, though, I'll let you continue, and I'm not disputing anything you're saying, but if we're using the press conference as the basis, do you really think Wink Martindale is going to get in front of the media and he's going to say, you know what, I looked at this roster, seven of the guys on defense I really hate, but you know what, this job was still attractive, I'm going to work with it. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay, but I, I was just I was just so starved for hearing something positive about players that I respected that I went I went with that. You know. Okay, I, I get that, but what I'm saying is that I think, and you sound like obviously you're an individual. You followed the NFL for quite some time. Very rarely is a coach, even if you look at previous Giants coaches, Joe Judge and Dable's sort of the same way. Are they going to throw their own guys under the bus, and are they truly going to tell you I'm not feeling too great? about a percentage of the roster. So I would not read so much into gauging oh, the no. level of excitement based on that. That's all Oh, I'm absolutely. That's why you have to listen to Giants.com. You have to listen to the guys on Giants.com if you really want to know what's going on, and I'm not being <laughs> facetious. Okay, well, I'm listen, serious. we'll cut you into our next promo then, Cliff. I can see you're making a campaign for that. <laughs> uh, but, well, Cliff, anyway. Cliff, I think your point is there are a lot of young players here who have been yes. taken over the last two seasons. For example, the Ellison Smiths of the world, who I am oh, incredibly yeah. intrigued by, right? Me too. Okay. Uh, Aaron Robinson. He made a big play last year. He made a big play against the Eagles on a kickoff. Right. He, so, when, so when did you see that? I, I'm curious myself. I want to know, what is Wink Martindale going to do with these guys? Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown. You know, Xavier McKinney, how much is he going to raise the ceiling of these guys? And if he does, then your point is well taken, because then it means he did see something in these guys, had big plans for them, and if he turns them into players who become not just good, but really good and important parts of the foundation of this team, then everything he said at that press conference would have held true. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, there's definitely reason to be optimistic. I mean, we all have our feet on the ground, basically. I mean, Daniel's going to look terrific if they can deploy Saquon the way they want to, and they can deploy Wandale the way they want to, and the tight end comes through as a rookie. I mean, and and then Daniel has time to throw a deep ball to Galladay and and Slayton. They really could light it up, but I'm not counting on that. I want to see what overall team development looks like with these guys and and um because they didn't promise instant results you know they 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 asked for time they said it's going to take time they haven't said that lately but they said that and i respected yeah. that you know and and um you know so we'll see but one thing i would add and then i'll let you go um uh one of the selling points for daniel to the previous regime when they drafted him was his personal disposition wasn't it he was supposed to be somebody the laid-back guy from North Carolina that was it was not going to be phased by, by the New York pressure, and they, they reminded him of Eli in that regard. Yeah, well, that was yeah. the hope, but, but let's face it, after all he's been through the first four years of his career, would it, be, would it be realistic to expect that he's got some doubts in his head? He's not going to tell anybody that, but no matter how much Eli-like we think he is, you can't tell me that the constant questions and the constant knocking of him – over the course of the last four years and the constant uh, in limbo kind of projections that people have for him, I, I refuse to believe that he is so Teflon that he doesn't believe or hear any of it. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's a, I can't. He's a human being. He's no, a human he's being. A human he's being. flesh and blood. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, I think also when it comes to longer-term deals and stuff, there, there's a catch-22. We're, we're going to have to see how he looks when stuff is really on the line. No that's doubt. Why, that's how Eli made himself a hero. You know, he really came through when it mattered the most. And that means, you know, at least performing well in a game that's key to playoff chances, if not a playoff game itself. And, uh, you know, I, 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 he's going to have to show that before, I think, you, you give him a lot of time. But I like the idea of two plus one is, is good enough for me if they can get that going. But I, I don't expect them to light it up in the first half. I, well, I'm Cliff, remember, fun. he also has to stay healthy enough to get to a game that you're talking about where there may right. be something on the line. Those two things go hand in hand. And appreciate the phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring here. There's a lot of different layers to this Daniel Jones conversation. I think we certainly have perused a number of them, and we'll get a little bit more into that. But do want to tackle some other elements that were brought up in this article. First, though, a few reminders. Giant season tickets are on sale now 
for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So in addition to Daniel Jones clearly being the centerpiece of this article on the state of the Giants, there were... A few other players that were brought up, and he labeled this one, Paul, as the new face to know, and then also his 2022 breakout star. The new face to know, and both of them were parts of the rookie class. The new face to know, Wandell Robinson, the giant second-round pick out of Kentucky. The breakout star, he's saying, Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, I would look more for a breakout star that's not necessarily part of the rookie class. That would be one of my criteria. I don't necessarily look for a guy in 2022. I would think somebody on the roster, I think, would maybe warrant that label. But as far as the new face to know, Wondell Robinson, I would agree. I mean, this is a guy that was taken with a high pick, certainly has looked good during the course of the spring, and his versatility and his protection for a guy like Kadarius Toney, I think fits very nicely to this equation on top of how Buffalo and Kansas City have utilized similar personnel in terms of stature. Without question, Lance, I would agree with that part of the article 100%. People are going to want to know more about Wandell Robinson as soon as the first month of the season's in the books because he will do a bunch of stuff on tape that uh, is going to be pretty dynamic. Uh, the other the other one is is a bit of a a quandary because it depends on what you mean by breakout star. Now I don't think there's any question when you draft a guy in the top ten you expect him to have an immediate impact as a rookie. There's no doubt about that. That's the whole idea. That's why you draft a guy that high. The Giants needed pass rush. They got a guy who was incredibly dynamic, has tremendous physical tools and skills with a defensive coordinator who specializes in causing havoc for quarterbacks and who desperately wanted this guy in the draft. This was the number one guy that he wanted if he had his druthers in the draft, and he got him. So given those factors, I don't think there's any doubt that Thibodeau uh, is going to be involved in a lot of big plays on this defense as long as he holds up and is able to stay on the field. Obviously, you never know about injuries. But, but I think he is going to be an incredibly important part of Wink Martindale's scheme as a rookie and will make a very big splash for this club. At least that's the plan, and that's what they hope he'll do. So if you wanted to find breakout star as just somebody who's going to have a significant impact who hasn't been here before, then you can certainly use him. If you want to discount the rookie class... I understand that, too. And that's where I was going. And if you want to, if you want to, then Xavier McKinney, who has already shown that he can play at a very high level in this league, I don't think it's a stretch for any of us to suggest that he will be an all-star safety come 2022. Well, the other guy I was going to throw out is Ojolari. I think he's a candidate as well. McKinney and Ojolari are going to be the two names I was going to give you. As an alternative to Thibodeau. Nothing wrong with that. Although I I would suspect that just based on the pure evidence we've already seen, McKinney probably has the easier trip to the Pro Bowl because his his consistency and his level of play, I think, of course, he also had a little bit more time in this uh, uh, league than uh, Ojolari has had. Ojolari was only a rookie last year. McKinney had a little bit of time as a rookie prior. Uh, Maybe he's just further along. So I think he probably has a better chance of reaching all-star accolades than Ojolari would. Well, and I wasn't looking at it necessarily as they have to make the Pro Bowl for them to be a breakout player. You could have a breakout season, but because, to your point, the competition, you know, it's a popularity contest. It also depends on who plays that position within the conference. It's not necessarily against you. For example, McKinney last year was actually given consideration and votes. He was in the mix for the safety position at Pro Bowl. But you've got to look at, there's other players that are seasoned vets that are competing with him because they've gone back to now AFC and NFC. It used to be, remember, where you just take safeties, you take corners, and then they have coaches that are celebrities or former players, and they just pick the teams. Then it 
went back to the different conferences. So you have to look at McKinney in conjunction with the other safeties at that position. I think if you were to ask who has a chance to get to the Pro Bowl for the first time, McKinney would be at the top of my list. I'm with you there. I'm not just looking at the Pro Bowl. I think Ojolari, based on Thibodeau's arrival and what Wink is going to do on defense, is it crazy to say that now year two after he experienced the league and he – changed his body a little bit this offseason he talked to the media about? Could he be a breakout candidate? 100%. I don't think it's crazy. And he could no, be a breakout candidate without even not at all. making a sniff at the Pro Bowl this year. Not at all. Not at all. I think, I think whenever people talk, and the reason I say all-star accolades is because we both know that the Pro Bowl is really a joke. Uh, and and there's a lot that goes into making it or not making it and being like a sixth alternate and then getting in the game. Because well, a lot of guys pull bowler. out. Yeah. Right. So I just say all-star accolades because when I say that, that includes if a guy is voted uh, AP All-NFL, uh, you know, All-Pro, if a guy is, vo- is voted into the Pro Bowl, if a guy is like the Sporting News All-NFL team. You know, there are a number of, of uh, factions besides Pro Bowl, where you could be voted to an NFL All-Star team. So I just say All-Star accolades. Um, That's fair. Because I think to me, you know, you can make, as crazy as it sounds, you can be All-NFL as voted by the Associated Press and not make the Pro Bowl. That does Or vice versa. Yeah, Yeah. well, but obviously Pro Bowl is so much easier to get into. So uh, that's why I just say if a guy gets any kind of legitimate, respectable all-star accolades, he's an all-star. I don't, I don't give a crap about being named Pro Bowl or not Pro Bowl. If he's an all-star, he's an all-star on somebody's team, and that's all that matters. And the other thing with respect to McKinney and Ojolari, and I stand by those being strong candidates, McKinney is entering now year three. And year three in the NFL from multiple positions, correct, tends to be the year where maybe they put it all together. Now, in fairness, it is McKinney's third year, but technically he hasn't gotten to the point because of all the games he missed his rookie year where he's at the stage yet of two full seasons. Yeah. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. So that's the other thing. You wonder, does it maybe come in the latter stages of this season into year four because he's sort of playing a little bit of catch-up? Not something that I would dismiss as a result. And Ojolari now year two, but completely new defensive scheme, new system, some new teammates. Is this now further of an adjustment like the rookie year because even though you're comfortable with the speed of the game, you're going to be asked to do something differently than what Patrick Graham asked I'll you to you do. So I'll give you one other name. question mark connected to both of them. I'll give you one other name. As long as we're talking about making big jumps that could result in all-star qualifications, how about Andrew Thomas? Would it sure. shock you yeah. if, if he made somebody's all-star team this year? I think it's tough in terms of the Pro Bowl because of the competition at that position. I'm not talking Pro Bowl. I'm talking make an all-star team. He could make somebody's all-star team this year. That wouldn't shock me at all. Somebody could put him on their list. Absolutely. Yeah, I just I don't know in terms of name recognition within the league, the big ones, not necessarily somebody's website or secondary talking, all-star team. Yeah, I'm not talking about those things. Well, I thought you were insinuating that because, I mean, let's face it, outside of all pro and pro bowl, what else is considered in that category? Uh, sporting, sporting news. Sporting news. Well, I, I to consider, me, that's I one of those sport. secondary – no disrespect to I sporting think news, but legit. it's – Outside of the top two all-star teams. Yeah, I think Pro Bowl, uh, all all pro, and I'm also I, – I think Sporting News is pretty well respected. I, they've been giving out an all-star uh, team for many, many years. And they give out Coach of the Year awards, you know, too. I, yeah, they do. And Assistant Coach of the Year award. Yep. I, I tend to, to look at them with some legitimacy. Now, beyond that, I'm not necessarily going further – but I think I think those three are probably the three that I look at the most. That, that, yeah, I'm that not holds some water for me. And I'm not questioning the legitimacy of sporting news. That's not why I was throwing it out there. It's just that when you talk about a player's resume, when was the last time 
that you brought up the player and said, yep, he was the 2019 Sporting News defense. Well, because everybody just brings up the stupid Pro Bowls and they well, talk about Pro Bowls, which, of course, is even more dumb and idiotic. It's far from an ideal setup. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I mean, that's been the system that's been in place forever, and we use that as a barometer. Whether or not you could question the substance of it, hey, that's a whole other debate. I agree with you. Sometimes you become the fifth pro bowler at your position in because four other guys decided they didn't want to play because of injury, conflict. They wanted to be with their family. So yeah, when you're an alternate, I think the legitimacy of the award should be debated. But if you're the guy that made the initial team, Paul, I'm not going to question that as much as opposed to you being fifth or sixth on the line. I think that is a big differentiation with respect to the conversation. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants chat. We're mixing in some of the points brought up from this NFL.com Giants State of the Union, essentially, article. But let's head back to the lines. Richie is in New Jersey, and he joins us now. What's happening, Richie? Good morning. Uh, good afternoon, fellas. Hi. Uh, a little off your topic, but I want to make a point that I've been a Giant fan since the late 50s. And I've seen all the different iterations. One of the things that I really like about the building of this team, and I know, you know, there's a lot of unknowns, that you are big. And going back to the Parcells days, one of the things that he did, bigger is better mm-hmm. was the motto. And well, George Young felt that way very strongly, as a matter of fact. Well, I, I really do believe in that. And you get two players that are about equal <clears throat> In this league, go big. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that has paid off. A lot of the players that were drafted on, the, let's say, the last eight or ten years were a little undersized. Athletic, yes. Fast, yes. All that, yes. But they didn't get the job done. And bigger is better. And so I'm thrilled about the size of the players. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a, a very old rule that scouts will tell you that has applied for many, many years at the back end of the draft. When you're talking about the late third day, you get to the sixth and seventh rounds, what, what the, the scouts will always tell you is, rule of thumb, uh, guys, if they're on the same shelf, and most of those guys are, they're, they're, they're not really discernible, you always take the guy who is bigger and faster than the rest of the guys in the pool because chances are, first of all, bigger and faster you can't teach, and those can be useful traits on special teams. Absolutely true. And and certain positions, faster is a little more important than bigger, but there are a lot of positions uh, that the Giants have been weak at, and I think it's because they were just undersized. They were trying their best. They were giving you it all, but... They were getting overpowered, particularly on the offensive line. And I happened to know a guy who was a former center on the Giants. And the Winters, as soon as Parcells took over, he said to his agent, hey, you got to get me out of here because this guy's nuts. He wants Giants. And believe me, <laughs> I could just blot out the sun. And uh, he was uh, traded out to Kansas City. And what happened is they brought in um, oh, uh, Bart Oates, who was a giant of a man at yeah, center. Bart, 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 Bart Oates had had a really good USFL career with the Stars, and the Giants brought him in when they signed him as a free agent and turned out to be a Pro Bowl player. Absolutely, yes. And, and he was somewhat big. Now, Frank Winters had a wonderful career, ended up Super Bowls with the Green Bay Packers. Union City Zone, right? I'm sorry? Union City Zone. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where I'm from my whole life. There you go. Right down the street. But absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar and, you know, big fan of the Giants always, but I think if I'm going to sum up my excitement about this, this team, I think they're going big, and I think that's going to be a big help to them. And, uh, and like I say, I follow you guys all the time. I listen. I have never called before, but uh, I had a bug up my nose today, and I said I'm calling them. Call us again, man. You sound like a great fan. Please call again. Thanks for uh, giving us a ring here. Appreciate it. With respect to size, remember, the other thing when it comes to the offensive line is you could have a big guy 
But if he doesn't have also the mobility, then a defensive end or a speedy pass rusher could easily get around him. So size is important. But I don't think it's necessarily the end-all, be-all because we've seen big offensive linemen, but they're stiff. And they don't have that level of movement to handle some of the speedier guys on the opposite side of the line. I'll give you a great example of, of why you, what you just said holds some water, Lance. DJ Fluker was a very large human being. Oh, yeah. Okay? But, but he did not have great athleticism, which is why he couldn't play tackle in this league. He was going to be destined to be a guard. And even at guard, when teams would pull some quick stunts on him, he had trouble picking them up because he just didn't have enough athleticism to move that huge mass of humanity that he was. Now, in the run game, he was a very competent NFL guard because he could push and maul and and bulldoze people and, and block straight ahead. But you were not going to get him blocking that outside zone because he couldn't get mobile and get out there. That wasn't going to work. You were somewhat limited in the kind of stuff you could run with him. But if that was okay for you and that's the scheme you ran, well, then Fluker was a definitely a, a, a good NFL guard. But, again, as the league has now adapted and become more with these faster, quicker, more athletic pass rushers, especially guys who are getting to the quarterback from between the tackles, and they're coming through that A gap and the B gap. They're not necessarily only coming off the edge anymore. There's much more of a stress in recent years about sending extra pressure from the interior of the line. Well, that's that's what happens to a guy like that. He kind of becomes a little bit of a of a liability because he just doesn't have the quickness to make those adjustments inside the interior of the line. And that's why when it comes to size, I would say like for a center, you want that guy to be big, especially when you look at who he's going up against more often than not in the trenches, those big nose tackles, defensive tackles. I can understand maybe I'd sacrifice a little movement because you just need a guy that's going to be a presence to help prevent those big bullies from getting at you. But when it comes to the size of tackles, movement is just as critical as just pure mass. And I'll give you an example, and this is somebody we've received calls from, the Nigerian offensive lineman who has ties to OC, who the Giants brought in. We've received calls, Paul, and I'm talking about Roy Mbatika, right. who is 6'9", 320. A lot of people, they're enamored by his size. And my response is, and even Brian Dable talked about this a few weeks ago, still very raw, never played football in college or high school. I could take a guy who's 6'9", 320 off the street here in the U.S. just because I put pads on him and line him up, and I expect him to all of a sudden be able to block everybody that runs at him. That's not how football works. He could struggle immensely because he doesn't have and he lacks the fundamentals. So tackle to me is much different than perhaps what I'm prioritizing size-wise out of my center. I, I think what, what you have to determine is what kind of scheme are you going to run. That's and important too. That's number one. Once you figure out the kind of scheme you're going to run, now you understand what it is that each of the linemen must do to be able to run the chapters in your playbook. Okay, then once you figure that out, then you say, okay, now this is what these guys got to do. They can do that. Okay, fine. Now you look at your now you look at what your competition is in your division. What are you looking at on your schedule? See, the Giants over the years, they've usually had centers who were a bit undersized. Actually, Bart Oates, you know, he, he was bigger in one regard in terms of stature than Frank Winters was when the caller brought that up years ago. But during the whole course of Bart Oates' career, he was actually viewed as a bit of an undersized center. Sean O'Hara was always viewed as a bit of an undersized center. And what you have to figure out is, okay, listen, how many of these mammoth defensive tackles are we going up against? When the Giants played the Patriots in, in, uh, at the end of the 2007 season, the undefeated Patriots for that Super Bowl, I can tell you for a fact the one huge dilemma that the Giants had when they game-planned for the undefeated Patriots is how are we going to deal with Woolfork going up head-on-head against Sean O'Hara? That was the one huge concern that they had. They could game-plan for everything else against the Patriots. Spags, uh, uh, Gilbride, Coughlin, they believed that they could match wits and they could scheme against that Patriots team and win. 
The one that they weren't sure about was how are we going to hold up on the interior with Sean O'Hara going up against Vince Woolfork? That was a headache and a concern they had the entire week. They did not know if they could hold up enough and not give up enough leakage that it would ruin whatever they tried to do. And fortunately for the Giants, they did hold up, and that's one of the primary reasons, and people don't understand that. It goes under the radar. Again, it's deep in the onion. But but O'Hara's ability to be adequate against Wolfork in that game was huge. Once that pocket collapses, if your quarterback, A, can't get out of the pocket, you're screwed. And also, don't even think about running up the gut because you're not going to get much penetration. So there's a lot of things that feed off of that middle area in terms of the matchup between the center and the nose tackle or the defensive tackle. Speaking of the offensive line, two questions that Adam Rank of NFL.com in this State of the Giants article brings up about the Giants needing to answer is one, will they benefit from a rebuilt offensive line? And he talks about the guys that they added in free agency as well as the draft. And we certainly have delved into that, so I don't think we need to regurgitate. And then the other thing goes back to something that we talked about a little bit earlier when we were talking about do you give Daniel Jones the contract, Saquon Barkley is, are you going to get something from Saquon? That was the way that he worded the question because he brings up Barkley's still just 25 years old. There's tremendous ability there is a term he utilizes. But as you and I were discussing, the inability to stay healthy and also when you look at the recent output, the numbers haven't been in the same ballpark of what he put forth in 2018 when he was a rookie and he took the league by storm. So are you going to get back to closer of what you did as a rookie, it's actually quite interesting, Paul, because you could really have the same conversation with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. I think for Daniel, can you get near 2019 and improve? And then for Saquon, can you return to what you did in 2018? Both players are looking to get back to that rookie form, in essence. You know, I remember when Barkley had his 2,000 total yards from scrimmage as a rookie, caught 91 balls. We all know what the numbers were. And I really thought that coming back in year two, he was going to wind up being that rare breed, that rare running back who has 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. Now, you know, the only guys to ever do that prior were Roger Craig and Marshall Falk. And now Christian McCaffrey has added himself to that list. I thought that McCaffrey and Barkley were both going to become numbers three and four, and it never happened. Now, remember, as awesome as Tiki was, he never came close to 1,000 yards receiving when he was with the Giants. I think that Barkley, in this system, and again, we go to that stupid asterisk about being healthy. If he stays on the field for all 17 games and he's not playing with a bum ankle for half the season, I don't think it's a stretch to think he'll have 1,000 and 1,000, and he will make that list that I thought he was going to make year two in his career. There was something else that he was asked about before we wrap up here when he spoke to the media during the course of mandatory minicamp. His numbers for a receiver were thrown out, and he was asked, can you get back to that 90 reception territory? And he didn't want to put any numbers on it, and he also didn't want to commit to that he's going to be utilized as more of a receiver this year in comparison to the previous years. But I still go back to, I would expect him, if he stays healthy, as you just mentioned, if we operate under that mindset, that he should be able to surpass the numbers from the last few seasons receptions-wise. But I just I don't know about getting back to that 90 territory, Paul, and the reason being if the receiving core also cooperates with the injury bug, I think it's going to be more of spread the wealth. And I don't think you're going to see Saquon have eight, nine, ten reception games. Not that he would need that. If you do the math, if he plays all 17, he would need a little over about five catches a game to get to the 90 category. But I still think the presence of Tony, Robinson, Shepard when he comes back, I just I don't see Saquon being as heavy of a usage out of the backfield like most people anticipate. So I'm not expecting the 90 territory. Could he get to 70? 75? I don't think that's crazy. Yeah. 90, I think, is a little too much. See, I, and I'm with you. I think 70 to 75 is probably where the number's going to lie, but I think he's going to have more big plays. Remember, in 2018, when he caught 91 passes, he averaged well under 10 yards a catch because they were all dump-offs. 
Yeah. You're going to see Barkley running, running wheel routes. He's going to go out wide, and he's going to run downfield. He's going to make some bigger plays in the passing game than what he made when he was a rookie in 2018. I mean, the, the, I forget what the number was, air yards on completions to Barkley as a rookie, but it was a very small number. He was yeah, they constantly deep passes. Down no, the it was all the, yeah. the the horizontal stuff. You know, they're getting it to him a yard or two behind, a yard or two ahead of the line of scrimmage, or even with the line of scrimmage. You know, he would. You know, to be a pass, it's got to be line of scrimmage or forward, right? You can't you yep. can't be behind, or it counts as a run. Well, he was catching all these dump offs that were three and four yards ahead of the line of scrimmage, and then he's getting eight yards on the catch. That's not going to happen this year. A lot of his catches are going to go for big plays. He's going to have a bunch of 20-yard catches this year. So that's why I think it's possible for him to maybe have 75 grabs, and he might even touch 1,000 yards with that. He might do it because he's going to have some really big plays. And he had 52 in 2019, just to give you an idea, and he had 41 last season. But he had 13 games played in 2019 and also 13 in 2021. I mean, just so remember one do thing. the math. Yeah. When he was at Penn State, he averaged over 11 and a half yards a catch. Just remember that. You know, he, he's proven that he is a downfield pass-receiving threat. Well, and he had to play against the Saints last season where they threw it to him down the field. Sure. And then he weaved back towards the middle of the Absolutely. field and scored the touchdown. So we know he could do that. The question is the volume of that and whether or not, once again, he's going to prove durability. That's the million-dollar no question. That's always going to be tied yep. to Saquon Barkley's outlook with respect to the 2022 season. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are back up and running again on Tuesday at noon Eastern. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you again on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.